Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. This is the Records and Rockstars radio podcast with Jeff Woods. This time, we're going to dive into a series that looks at the evolution of a thing that most of us just can't live without. More than an era, more than a name, more than a style of music. It's been said rather accurately, by the way, that rock and roll is an attitude. And when you think about what a rock star is, you can go back. I mean, way back to a man named Ludwig. Written between 1804 and 1808, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, a lightning rod of musical extravagance and simplicity at the same time, paving the way for the sorts of sounds that so intricately combine classical music with what amounts to modern folktales with large amplifiers. How else would you explain Rush, and Yes, and King Crimson, and ELP, and Genesis, and all the rest of the art rock or the prog rock bands? It's a Records and Rockstars investigation into the evolution of what would become known as classic rock. But first, three decades before that radio format was even a thing, there was a radio DJ who helped get the ball rolling. And regardless of anyone's criticism of how people get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, let's look at the city with the building that bears the name. A city that wanted to host the hall so badly they put up 65 million bucks to make it happen. And long before that, it was 1952 when this DJ in Cleveland was doing what a lot of us kids did, hanging out downtown at the record store, where he noticed lots of white kids dancing to black records, meaning black artists. And so he took that music and played it on his evening radio show, the one he called the Moondog Rock and Roll Party, made him the first well-known white guy to play so-called rhythm and blues records in the radio. But he gave the music a new name, one that would represent the surging beat. And while some people had already been using this expression to describe the act of sex, it was Alan Freed who used it to represent the music we came to know as rock and roll. And he put on concerts featuring rock and roll artists, and if you were at one of those, it would have sounded like what would become the intro to a song about the city of Cleveland and what it does. That's Ian Hunter from England with Spiders from Mars guitarist Mick Ronson. Now, if you take an 11-hour drive southwest from Cleveland past Indiana and Kentucky, you'll find yourself in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, where before Alan Freed and before Elvis Presley and before Little Richard and before Chuck Berry, it was March 1951, when out came what is most often considered the first rock and roll record. And so successful was it, The profits it generated would help one Sam Phillips launch Sun Records. And the artist who wrote it and played on it didn't even get his name on the lights. More on that after I play it for you. 
the first rock and roll record. You women have heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make, but let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's straight, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along. Out on the Chess label in Chicago, 1951, long before they were calling it rock and roll, the song Rocket 88 came under the name Jackie Branston and his Delta Cats, but it really should have come out under the name Ike Turner and his Rhythm Kings because it was Tina Turner's future ex-husband's doing, mostly. And the song would do about a half million copies in sales and go all the way to number one for five weeks in the summer of 1951 on the R&B charts. Ike Turner and the band were paid 20 bucks each for the recording. The singer Jackie Branston got the writing credit, and he would sell the song rights to Sam Phillips for about 900 bucks, and that was the money used to get Sun Records going the next year. And where the blues had told tales of earthly troubles, this tune was all about letting the good times roll, inspired by a new model of the Oldsmobile Rocket 88. And to be fair, even that came from earlier influences, if influences mean rip-off from a bit of another song from earlier, 1947, that went like this. I had to have a boogie with the woogie wouldn't wait. Brought me in long black cap like eight. It's all reached, solid streamlined. I'll joy jumping Cadillacs on time. It's the Cadillac boogie, boogie woogie rolling along. Bit of Cadillac Boogie by Jimmy Liggins and his Drops of Joy from 1947 when sex and drugs were unspeakables in most circles and rock and roll wasn't even a thing yet at least by name and when the 50s hit before guitars took center stage the music the kids were getting all fired up about found the piano and the saxophone the prominent instruments and artists like little richard and fats domino and soon jerry lee lewis would carry the torch and along came chuck berry who in 1955 took a country song called ida red and having seen an ad for makeup on TV, put them together and came up with this. Maybelline found Chuck Berry as much as anyone the poster boy for rock and roll. And he was soon joined by other Americans like Carl Perkins and Bo Diddley and Elvis's guitarist Scotty Moore. And then came British heroes like Cliff Richards' lead guitarist Hank Marvin of the Shadows and Gene Vincent's lead guitarist Cliff Gallup, who would in turn inspire future legends like Jeff Beck, while Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page and Keith Richards and others took their cues from way back in the 1920s and 30s from the deep south of America. And later, legends like Muddy Waters, who sang about the blues having that baby. Well, this is a story, a story never been told. Why do the blues got pregnant? And they named the baby rock and roll. The great McKinley Morganfield, better known by the name of Muddy Waters. We also call him the father of modern Chicago blues, when in fact he was from near to Clarksdale, Mississippi. In the early days, emulating the sounds of local blues artists like Sun House and Robert Johnson. It was in the 40s that Muddy Waters headed north to Chicago to make records for Columbia and for the Chess Brothers. 
all kinds of songs we'd come to know in the hands of modern rock stars from England and all over North America. That's how it went. Soon everybody was on a kick to revive what black America had first provided via the blues. And never a more generous genre than that. Which is something a British-born Canadian resident named Paul Rogers had on his mind last time we met. That structure is still good enough to where you can write another million songs on the 12-bar blues. It's that versatile. So once rock and roll was born in the 1950s, white artists would then smash down the door that black American musicians had unlocked and make this noisy little parent-infuriating rock and roll music huge. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. What is that right so? Out three years after Rocket 88 landed is the first so-called rock and roll record. That one from 1954 from Bill Haley and the Comets. So blues and rhythm and blues and Bill Haley and Alan Freed and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Ike Turner and Jerry Lee and all the other artists that made rock and roll music a thing were unwittingly laying a foundation that one artist would come along and set on fire. The one without whom there'd have been no Beatles, as John Lennon put it best. And really, no Rolling Stones either. It's a story that starts in the summer of 53. The studio that Rocket 88 built, Sam Phillips' studio, into which you could go and pay some money and come out with a record. And on this day, pacing back and forth out front of the place, this guy who finally found the courage to go inside, where he told the receptionist he wanted to make a record for his mother's birthday, which was the next day. Sam Phillips agreed to the session, although the customer in question said, I can't sing very well, but I'd like to give it a try. And so at a cost of $4, he tried two songs. One was called My Happiness. Another, That's When Your Heartaches Begin. And it was in those songs that Sam Phillips could hear that this kid had something. Not quite it, but something. Five months later, he was back at Sun to record two more. Even these had the Sun Studios boss pretty sure nobody was quite ready to hear what this unknown kid had to offer, at least not yet. And the problem was that this kid couldn't quite settle on any one style of music that mattered, at least commercially. Was he a crooner? Was he a gospel singer? Was he a busker on the street? What would make him stand out, thought Sam. And that's where rock and roll came in. As legend has it, Sam Phillips kept saying, if I could find a white man who had the Negro sound and the Negro feel, I could make a billion dollars. And so he brought in a couple of session musicians and had the kid come back a third time for his Sun Studio recording session of July 1954, a song written and recorded years earlier by Arthur Big Boy Crudup, with some words borrowed from an even earlier recording by another black guy in the 1920s named Blind Lemon Jefferson. And it all led to the song that put the future king of rock and roll on the map. Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, mama. Just any way you do it, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, mama. Early Elvis Presley. It's the evolution of classic rock part one of four, as we chunk it out decade by decade. 
Today you hear people say rock and roll is dead. Well, they've been saying that since it started. Particularly one winter's day in February 1959, after the climax in a series of events that gave the news media some of its headlines. Here they are, October 57, Little Richard Finds God. March 58, Elvis Joins the Army. May 58, Jerry Lee Lewis marries his 13-year-old second cousin. And to top it off, and to put another nail in the 50s rock and roll, it was February the 3rd, 1959, the date that would become known as the day the music died. That was the day Buddy Holly's plane crashed. We'll come back to him. And even with all that loss, rock and roll's comeback was on the horizon, an ocean away, and in a kind of way via Chicago. You see, that's the city the king of so-called British skiffle music says this skiffle came from. Chicago, with poor folk making music in the kitchen to raise money to pay the rent, drinking homemade wine and pulling out the washboard and the washtub bass, and if you could afford one, an acoustic guitar or maybe a banjo. And in England, Lonnie Donegan became the king of all that. And there were all kinds of kids with their eyes on him, including one named James Patrick Page. And you're just learning to play the guitar? Yes. From, can you pl- can you, from a teacher? Do you yes. play anything except skiffle? Yes, Spanish and dance. Do you? Well, can you mm. move on? What are you going to do when you leave school? Take up skiffle? No, I want to do, uh, well, biological research. Do you? Mm. I knew that already. That's like, what do you mean by biological research? Well, cancer, if it isn't discovered by then. You mean be a doctor? No. No, I haven't got enough brains for that, I don't think. So not enough brains? No. Well, I'm sure you have. Well, all right. Yes. Understood, as they say. Not at all. I think you've got quite enough brains to be a doctor. But what you want to do is to what? Research into, into, into germs. Yes. Very. A pubescent Jimmy Page from April 1957 on British television, playing his guitar, but contending that his future would be more about looking into germs, maybe curing cancer. Who'd have thunk? Ten years later, he'd have his sights set on a supergroup that would turn the world on its ear. Right around the same time Jimmy was barely a teenager in a skiffle band, 200 miles to the northwest of England, so was John Lennon, who recruited Paul McCartney, who brought along George Harrison, altogether breathing more life into rock and roll music than anyone could have imagined. And right on brand, they too had no choice but to borrow from the blues and rhythm and blues, covering countless songs by African-American artists like Larry Williams, who had written more than one song John Lennon took a shine to. Well, come on, pretty baby, won't you walk with me? Come on, pretty baby, won't you talk with me? Come on, pretty baby, give me one more chance. Try to save our romance, slow down. Most every song the Beatles did in their earliest days was written by African-Americans like Larry Williams from New Orleans, who gave us songs like Slow Down and Bad Boy. Another rock and roll record covered by the Beatles in the 60s, out first upon the birth of 50s rock and roll, a song about something that would cause wars around the world ever since. And we say rest in peace upon the death January 28, 2023, of Mississippi-born songwriter Barrett Strong. The best things in life are 
Now here's how the Beatles did it. The best things in life are free But you can keep them for the best And please not give me more That's what I want That's what I want That's what I want That's what I want From the Beatles and their rock and roll music Which began when they were teenagers Taking it to Germany in the summer of 1960 Through to about December 62 Mostly American records Wrapping the whole thing up on the rooftop of Apple Records Less than eight years later But who's kidding who? Everything Lennon, McCartney, Harrison and Ringo Starr Would go on to do Would in some way influence Just about everything since Now, back to Beethoven As John Lennon moves over And lets Paul McCartney take the lead Emulating his hero, Little Richard The Beatles did it like that, after Chuck Berry had done it like this. Well, I'm gonna write a little letter, I'm gonna mail it to my local DJ. Yeah, it's a jumping little record, I want my jockey to play. Roll over Beethoven, I gotta hear it again today. You know my temperature rising. But nobody did Beethoven with more intensity, not to mention stamina, than the band led by a future traveling Wilbury. Fourteen years before Jeff Lynn became one-fifth of the Traveling Wilburys, he was rolling over with Beethoven and his previous superstar British band known as the Electric Light Orchestra, ELO. Now more in our look at the evolution of classic rock in four parts. The 1950s really set the stage in the evolution of classic rock with Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Carl Perkins and Eddie Cochran and all the rest. Using the thing that more than any other thing stands firm as the greatest implement and the greatest image that'll ever be associated with rock. The thing that set the music on fire, quite literally, once Hendrix came along. The solid body electric guitar. It was in the 1950s when Gibson and Fender and Gretsch were all finding their way into the hands of rock and roll stars. The Gibson Les Paul solid body came in 52. Les Paul, the man responsible in part for the six-string electric played by everyone from Clapton in his days with Cream to Townsend with The Who to Joe Perry of Aerosmith and Jimmy Page and Slash and countless others. And then there's the guitars made by Leo Fender, the Telecaster and the Stratocaster, each of which will play a prominent role in part two. Now, what about the influence of the C-word in all this? From Hank Williams to Merle Haggard, and Waylon Jennings, and Willie Nelson. And despite being called country stars, it was these legends in a list topped by Johnny Cash, who with their swagger and attitude and confidence and ability, had a huge influence on rock and roll music too. 
Bob Dylan for one loved Johnny Cash as much as the inmates at Folsom Prison and San Quentin had, men to whom Cash would bear his soul. Of course, Dylan and Cash would record together, and Johnny in the latter years of his career proved better than most how the essence of a song could transcend all borders and barriers and genres and boxes and biases, if done just right. Johnny Cash was 70 when he came with this so-called alternative rock hit. It's tough to find a song more emotive in all of music. You want to talk about evolution? From 2002, his cover of the song Hurts, first recorded live at Folsom State Prison in Folsom, California, January 68, this. I bet there's rich folks eating from a fancy dining car. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving, and that's what tortures me. That first recorded in the summer of 1955 at Sun Studios Memphis by a 23-year-old named Johnny Cash. That's the late 60s version from Folsom. And when Johnny was 71 years old, just weeks before his death, his name was all over the 2003 MTV Video Music Awards thanks to this song. And you could have it all. Johnny Cash is rock and roll in attitude as anyone that's ever been. His version of the Trent Reznor song, Hurt, from late 2002. You know that Reznor had been worried before he heard it that Johnny's attempt at doing a cover of Hurt might have sounded a bit gimmicky. Then when he heard the song and saw the video for it, Reznor said, that song isn't mine anymore. The first of four parts in the evolution of classic rock raps, you know, I've talked about the inventors and the innovators, those responsible for taking the blues and rhythm and blues and setting the stage in the 1950s for what was to come, talked a bit about the fact that as much as anything, rock and roll is about attitude and intention and oftentimes rebellion. It's also got a sweet side that so often comes through in the words and in the way songs are sung, by legends like Phil and Don, the Everly Brothers, with their harmonies. And there was another American with far-reaching influence who transcended the narrow description that was country and rockabilly, on his way to inspiring the Beatles to actually call themselves that, taking a cue from his band's name, the Crickets, him being Charles Harden Hawley, a.k.a. Buddy. You know, Buddy only made it to the age of 22 making him the youngest of influencers in the evolution of classic rock that included his writing the song that gave the Rolling Stones their first North American single. Love enough, it away. 
Rolling Stones covering Buddy Holly, perhaps part one of our look of the role of the 50s in the evolution of classic rock. Next time in part two, the 60s in the British invasion. With credit this time in part to the essential book and film, All You Need Is Love, the story of popular music by Tony Palmer and Records and Rockstar series producer Robbie Johnston, and especially you for listening. Till next time. The Records and Rockstars radio podcast is available every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your streaming audio so you never miss an episode. Rate and review to help us spread the word. All this and more at jeffwoodsradio.com. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.